Morning, everyone. Welcome once again to Chatham Community Church. So glad y'all are here this morning. My name is Jaime. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if you're a guest, I want to extend a particularly warm welcome to you and uh, say that I'm glad you're here and that I'd love to say hi to you. Uh, so at the end of the service, come say hi. I may be in the back. I may be hanging up, hanging out uh, up here in the front, but I'd love to hear your name, how you found us, and uh, what your experience was like this morning. A couple of quick, uh, brief announcement words before I get into the sermon. The first is, uh, on Friday, we had a volunteer appreciation gathering, and we're so thankful for all of you who made it there. Uh, it, was a wonderful, it was wonderful to gather with y'all. Uh, the company that we catered the meal from uh, offered us a number of uh, gift cards to their business, uh, to Alpaca. It's Alpaca. And uh, we thought that uh, it would be great to hand those out to those of you, especially to those of you who are volunteers who weren't able to make it to the volunteer appreciation gathering. So if that's you, uh, on your way out, they are in the back, and we'd love to hand them out to you. And uh, if you don't happen to volunteer with us, but you're like, man, I really love Alpaca, I would love to uh, go there, is there any chance? The answer is probably. We've, I think we've got enough to cover everyone, so... Uh, you can go ahead and grab one, and we'll be fine with that. Uh, that's fine. The other thing is that after the service, I'm going to be hosting a Q&R session. That means question and response. We just wrapped up a couple of weeks ago a series on the Holy Spirit, and there I've had a number of conversations where questions have emerged of what next or what do I do with this, et cetera, et cetera. And so I want to create a space after the service uh, just to respond to some of those questions. So if you have questions, if you're curious about some of the stuff we talked about or what to do, uh, with some of the stuff we talked about, just hang around here in the front. Depending on how many we are, we'll either gather together uh, in a small group or I'll stay here on stage and, and, and we'll talk. And uh, uh, if no one has questions, that's okay. You know, we'll, we'll linger for as long as we need to or until my hunger tells me that it's time to go home and eat. Uh, and we'll have another one if we need to. Uh, so glad that you're here. All right, let's get on with it. Uh, after watching a show or a movie or reading a good book, something that you really appreciate, have you ever had a moment where you start to wonder what the story would have been like if things had turned out differently? If certain characters had made different choices, how things would have turned out, how the story would have played out? Like in Titanic, what would Jack and Rose's lives have been like if Rose would have made space on that uh, door for Jack? What would their lives have been like? Or what would Game of Thrones have been like if the Starks had stayed in Winterfell and not gone down to King's Landing? Maybe you've wondered how Lord of the Rings, or how much shorter Lord of the Rings would have been if the Eagles would have come sooner. Just a little bit sooner. Or maybe you've wondered if being sorted into a different house might have changed how Harry Potter developed into a hero. Fans have chased down some of these theories, and you can go down those rabbit trails online if you want. Uh, Lord bless you in that, and may you come out sometime this year from those searches. Uh, they've come up with some interesting theories, but Marvel took it a step further. They built a whole show around this. It was called What If? And it explores what would have happened if certain key moments from the Marvel Cinematic Universe had turned out differently. Everything from what would have happened if Peggy Carter had taken the super soldier serum instead of uh, the man we know as Captain America, Steve Rogers, to what would have happened if Ultron had won. Now, the episodes are okay. 
Some are interesting, some are not. I mean, there's a reason why these aren't the things that happen in the normal Marvel Cinematic Universe, but it's the very exercise it suggests that I find very intriguing. It fascinates me because what if is a very human question. What if is a very human question. Everyone has what if moments where, where they wonder, where they imagine, where they dream of the road not taken or the path that didn't emerge, that didn't come about. Sometimes we even have those what-if moments when we're faced with a decision. And we wonder what would happen if we take this path or what would happen if we take that path. And we try to help that, have that help us uh, figure out what the best choice might be. No one gets through life without what-if moments. And some of those what-if moments are harmless. Some of them are benign. Some of them are actually good or helpful. But there are times when what's behind and what's driving that moment of what if comes from a place that appeals to less than the best parts of us. It appeals to the less good parts of us. A word that the ancient scriptures use to describe those types of what if moments is temptation. Temptation invites us not just to consider what if, but it invites us to step into a story that satisfies us in the short term but ultimately leads to long-term devastation. During this season of Lent, we are, as we head towards Easter, we are stepping into the story. That's the series that we are working our way through uh, until Easter. And we are stepping into Jesus' story. For 2,000 years, people have found uh, the story of Jesus compelling. And people have been compelled to follow Jesus, to step into life with him as they've heard his story. And the accounts we have of Jesus' life, it shows us what story he's writing, not just for himself, but for humanity and for us. It's one of redemption, one of compassion, one of love, one of an eternity of goodness. It's the story he invites all of us into. And Jesus' story has what-if moments. And we're going to look at one today. And as we look at Jesus' what-if moment, we can recognize what some of our what-if moments might look like how we might resist the allure of stepping out of God's story and how we might stay in it rather than moving into one that ultimately has a dead end. So if you have a Bible, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 4? Uh, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, so it's in the latter third of your Bibles if you have one that has both Testaments. If you don't have a Bible or don't have a device that can access it, we're going to put it on the screen we're going to be reading in chapter 4, the first 11 verses of chapter 4 of Matthew. It's one of the accounts we have of Jesus' life. And it's going to be on the screen in just a second. Here we go. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test again. The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said. If you will bow down and worship me, Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, 
Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. We last week looked at the passage that precedes this one, the one that comes right before this. It was the story of Jesus' baptism. And at his baptism, we heard and saw that the, that the Holy Spirit descended onto Jesus like a dove and was with him. And, and we heard the voice of the Father speaking from the heavens, saying, to, saying about Jesus, This is my Son whom I love, in him I am well pleased. At the baptism, Jesus has committed himself publicly to the Father's will, to the Father's way. And then right after that, the Spirit leads him into the wilderness to be tempted by the evil one. And the word tempted could also be translated as tested or as tried. But either way, it may strike us as puzzling that we could go from the moment of baptismal declaration to the moment of antagonistic confrontation. The wilderness... The desert has been in the scriptures and is in this moment considered a place of trial, of testing, of tempting, of refining. The mission that Jesus has committed himself to is significant. It has cosmic, eternal implications. The stakes of Jesus' mission are about as high as you can get. They're about as high as you can get. And in some ways then, it makes sense that Jesus would be taken on the front end to the place where his resolve could be strengthened, where his commitment could be shown and refined, that he would be tested and that he would prove himself engaged and committed to remain. Part of what it also does is it puts the enemy on notice. Because if he can't catch Jesus here, where could he catch him? But it also gives us a picture of what we might be tempted by and how we might resist Leading up to the confrontation with the evil one, Jesus has spent 40 days and 40 nights fasting. It's a way in which he is consecrating himself. He is saying that that he wants God even more than some of his sort of bodily needs. Now, we don't know what the fast looked like. We don't know exactly what it entailed, but he must have been sustained in some way by the Father and the Spirit who are with him. And yet after 40 days, he's still hungry, right? No kidding. I would be hungry too if I spent 40 days fasting. Who wouldn't be? You know, when I go shopping, I always make a list. You know, whether I'm going to Food Lion or Costco or Chatham Marketplace, wherever I'm going, I try to take a shopping list with me. And more often than not, I stick to that shopping list. But I tell you what, if I go into the grocery store hungry, the odds of me coming out with things that weren't on my shopping list and of questionable nutritional value that goes through the roof. It goes through the roof because hunger makes us susceptible to lots of things. Hunger makes us susceptible to lots of things. So as Jesus finds himself hungry, possibly weakened, this feels like a really bad time to confront the evil one. This feels like a really bad time to have him be tempted, to have him be tested. And listen, I am not suggesting that we intentionally put ourselves in situations where we might be tempted or where we might be tried while we're in weakened states. I'm not suggesting that. But what Jesus shows by going into this scenario in a weakened state, in a needy state, and resisting, what he shows us is that temptation is never irresistible. Temptation is never irresistible. Temptation is never irresistible. And that's going to prove crucial as soon as the evil one shows up. Because the first thing he tempts Jesus with has to do with food. 
It has to do with satisfying that need he has. He shows up and he invites Jesus to consider a what if. It's almost like he says, hey, Jesus, what if you used the power that you supposedly have and address this hunger that you're feeling? What if you made yourself a nice loaf of bread? Wouldn't that hit the spot? What if you took some of these abundantly present rocks here in the desert and made yourself a nice loaf of bread? Jesus has been depending so far on the spirit that led him into the desert to provide for him and the father that spoke good words over him to provide for him, to sustain him. He's been depending on the father's love, on his delight to give him what he needs to make it through these 40 days and beyond. So now... The invitation isn't just about satisfying the hunger. It's a bigger what if. Part of what the enemy is tempting Jesus with is he's saying, what if you provided for yourself, through yourself, by yourself? That's a, that's, that's a what if that we often face, isn't it? What if we take matters into our own hands? What if we chart our own path? What if we do it our way? What if we do it without needing anybody? And those sound eerily like words I hear in the stories we tell here in Chatham County. Because this is a do-it-yourself kind of county, isn't it? Leave me alone. I'll do it my way. I can do it. I can do it. And let me tell you, industriousness is not bad. Ingenuity is not bad. Initiative is not bad. Drive is not bad. Creativity is not bad. They are good, but they are not all that we were meant to be. They are not all that was meant to be contained in our stories. We were made to need God. We were made to be provided for by Him and through Him. And we were also made for interdependence with others. We were made not just to be the kind of people who jump up when there's a need and go address it. We were made to be the kinds of people who share the needs that we have and welcome help when it comes. And I know one of those is easier for some of us here in this room than the other. This is a tempting story. This is a tempting story. It sounds alluring. And even for some of us, it might sound empowering Because there is something intriguing about being able to say, I can do this. I did it on my own. I made my own way. Yay, me. But it's got a dark side. I'm going to let you sit with it for a moment. I'm going to share what I think some of the dark side is later. But sit with it for a moment and see if you can can picture the dark side of the story that says, I will provide for myself, through myself, by myself. Take a moment and see if you can pick out some of the dark sides of that story. It's there. And it's there because it's less of a story than what we were made for. We were made for a bigger story. Having said no to that what if, the the evil one takes Jesus to the center of religious activity and the highest point at the temple and presents Jesus with a different what if. Hey, Jesus, what if, what if, 
Instead of spending three years going around towns and healing people and preaching messages in these backwoods, uh, what if instead of spending that time building some credibility and gathering a crowd that's kind of iffy, even if it sticks with you, what if, what if you gathered people that actually had power? What if you made a grand entrance? What if you made a scene? What if angels and all, right in the center of religious activity, you showed up right where the most powerful people are and got them on your side? Now, I'm not saying the devil knows Jesus' future, but ultimately, this is what the temptation poses to Jesus. He's inviting Jesus to a story that's marked by grand acts that garner attention. Because that's what he's inviting him to. He's inviting him to do something grand, something that draws the crowd, something that gets attention. The most watched video on YouTube has over 12 billion views. That's billion with a B. Anyone have a guess of what that video is? Yeah, go ahead, Ben. It is. Baby shark do-do-do-do-do-do. You're welcome for as long as that song gets stuck in your head. You're welcome. You're welcome. 12 billion views. International football star Cristiano Ronaldo is the most followed person on Instagram. He has 500 million followers. 500 million followers. We track likes, shares, subscribes, follows, reactions, replies, crowd sizes, ticket sales. Now, not all of that comes from grand acts, but we've certainly gone deep into a story that chases attention and ties that to our sense of value and worth, haven't we? Haven't we? And its effect isn't just on the emerging generation. It's affecting all of us in one way or another. Now, again, not all of that is bad. There's lots of good things that come from these systems that have allowed these things to happen, but there's a dark side to that story, isn't it? There's a dark side to the story that chases attention, that does whatever it takes to get that next like, that next share, that next follow, that next subscribe. There's a dark side to it. Sometimes we read the sad tales of that dark side. Friends, attention doesn't equal significance or impact, no matter how much we've been told that that's the case. Attention does not equal significance, and it doesn't equal impact. Most of Jesus' small band of followers abandon him near the end. Some of them come back, right? They don't fully leave. But after three years of Jesus living the life he did, he's not gathered thousands of followers. He maybe has a hundred and change. And they're not powerful people. They're not influential. They don't control anything. And yet, it is because of their work and the work of those that followed them that you and I are here. It's had global impact for millennia. God's story is better than this what if. The evil one might be, might be thinking he's saving the best for last. Right? He, he, he takes Jesus and has him view all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. It's almost as if he's saying, hey, Jesus, what if, what if? And hear me out now, Jesus, hear me out. What if, what if instead of spending three years, three frustrating years among these people and then ending up crucified in order to sit at the right hand of God, 
What if, instead of doing that to have every knee bow down, sure, what if you switched sides? What if you pledged allegiance to me and got all of that now? What if? What if? What if? The shortcut. Oh, I love a good shortcut. When I first started uh, using sort of GPS and Google Maps and all that, there was no more alluring voice to hear than the voice that said, we found a shorter route. Man, I would take that. I get, you know, the thing would pop up, do you want to take this? Boom, yes. Yes, let's take that faster route. But after many late arrivals, and many times of me frustratingly banging my head on the steering wheel, I realized that not every shortcut is worth taking. Not every shortcut is worth taking. This one is especially treacherous because what it's tempting Jesus for is to obtain God's promises through ungodly means. It's the temptation to use, it's the temptation that says the ends justify the means. Get all the fruit of loving sacrifice without having to love much or sacrifice anything. Get all the fruit of hope without hoping. Get all the fruit of generosity without giving, and so much more. So much more is there, and it's all an empty husk. It's all an empty husk. Take a moment and think of what pursuing God's ends through ungodly means might do to the people around you. Take a moment to think what it might do to your soul, what it might do to your life. The evil one's invitation seemed to invite Jesus into a story that has agency and provision and attention and acclaim and care and power and security and riches. And those things are alluring. We would be disingenuous if we said they weren't. But if you chase down those stories that the enemy invites Jesus into... Those may seem like what's at the front end, but on the back end of all of those, there's this. There's a Jesus without the Father, without the Spirit, and without his community. There is a Jesus uncertain about whether or not the Father loves him and having to continue to do things that prove to him the Father's love. There's a Jesus that's continually chasing after the fickle crowds. There's a Jesus that's bound by and bound to the enemy of life. That is a dead-end story if I've ever heard one. See, that's the thing with what-ifs and temptations. They're always an invitation into a story of short-sighted gains and long-term devastation. I'm not saying the gains aren't there. They may be there, but they will be fleeting. And what will be on the other side will be devastation, and it will last much longer than whatever gains we achieved. They can't last. And that's because temptation always invites us to stories that promise abundance, fulfillment, and purpose, but without the one who made us for those very things. Without the one who made us for abundance. Without the, made, the one who made us for fulfillment. Without the one who made us for purpose and has that for us in his story for us. We can't achieve it without him. God is the one who delivers these things, and they are there for us in the story he invites us into, the story he invites us to live with him. So 
How do we remain in God's story when those what if comes, what ifs come? How do we resist temptation? Well, let's take a look at how Jesus does it. It's worth remembering that when Jesus goes into the desert, he's just heard the following from the Father. This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And the thing that the enemy tempts him with more than once is, 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 is this, this idea, if you are the son of God. He calls Jesus' identity into question. He calls Jesus' identity into the question. And one of the first things that helps Jesus resist is that he, remember who, he remembers who he is and whose he is. Remembering who we are and who we belong to is one of the first things that will help us resist the invitation into the different story. Here's who we are. Here's who you are. Here's how, who I am. You are a child of God. You are made in his image. You have value. God cares for you. He's writing a good story for you. You are in it and you are not the villain. There is good for you. Remember who you are. Remember who you belong to, whose you are. The second thing is to remember that we are not alone. When Jesus goes into the desert, he goes in led by the Spirit, and nowhere does it tell us that the Spirit abandons him. Jesus does not face the temptation alone, and you, neither you nor I, need to face the temptation alone either. Even in the moments where we feel our most vulnerable, where we feel our weakest, where we feel our most alone, where we feel our worst because maybe we've taken a step into an alternate story or we feel like we're on the verge, even at our lowest, we are never alone. God is with us. God is with us. And for those who've called on Jesus' name, the Spirit is in us. We can also trust what the Father says about us. The Father has said that he loves Jesus. The Father has said that he is pleased with Jesus, and Jesus chooses to believe that. Jesus trusts that. God says that we are forgiven. God says that we are not alone. God says that he'll provide what we need when we need it. God says that he loves us. God says that he's made a way for us. God says that he has good for us. Hold on to that. Hold on to that in the moments where it feels most tenuous. It will help you stay in the story. Cultivate intimacy with God. Scripture helps anchor Jesus in the moments of temptation. He responds with Scripture to the evil one. He even responds with Scripture when the enemy quotes Scripture, misuses Scripture. Jesus responds with Scripture. The stories that we have of Jesus let us know that Jesus knew the scriptures, that he studied the scriptures, that he spent time in prayer. Here in the desert, he spent time fasting. He's cultivated a closeness with God. Those aren't the only ways to cultivate intimacy, but they are some of the ways that cultivate intimacy. Find the ones that work for you, friends. Incorporate them into your lives. Knowing the one in whose story you are will help you stay in that story when it feels most tempting to leave. We can't snap our fingers into intimacy. This one takes time. This one takes partnership. This one takes us contributing our part. This one takes cultivating. So cultivate intimacy with God. And lastly, understand and act on your authority. The only effective command that is issued in the whole passage is issued by Jesus. When he tells the evil one, away from me. And the evil one goes. 
Jesus does that because Jesus knows who has the authority here. The evil one can't command Jesus. The evil one has no authority over Jesus. And the evil one can't command us into his story either. The evil one can't command us into his story either. You and I have been granted authority by the Father. We have been granted authority by the Lord of the universe, the Lord of this world. And there are times when the best thing we can do when invited into an alternate story is to tell the evil one, away. 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 You can't trick me into this. You can't trick me into this. The evil one offers Jesus a whole lot, right? We saw that long list a little earlier. Even if it's just empty husks, it looks like a lot. And he offers things to us that are alluring. But here's what Jesus gets on the other side of resisting the temptation. Here's what he gets as he stays in God's story. Some of it is immediate and some of it is sort of big picture. He gets presence. Angels come and are with him. He gets care. They minister to him. He gets provision. He is provided for what he needs. And in the grand scheme of things, his will and his resolve are strengthened. He has resisted the enemy who tried to divert him for his mission. I can't imagine that that didn't strengthen his resolve to press forward. Those, these, and much more are available to us when we resist the allure to step into an alternate story and remain in Jesus' story. Friends, the invitations today are simple and they are straightforward. It's, the first one is to step out of any story you're living that is without God and step into the one God made for you. If you're here and you've never entertained stepping into God's story for your life, here's the invitation for you. Today is the day God has a good story for you. A story whose goodness is not fleeting. A story whose end is not devastation, destruction, and death, but a story whose end is life and abundance. You can step into that story today. A way has been made for you. You don't need to jump through hoops. You just need to welcome. Welcome. Welcome the Spirit. Welcome Jesus and enter into the story. If that's a decision you're thinking about making or want to make today, come talk to me. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to talk to you about that. And the second invitation today is to resist the invitation to step into a what-if story that doesn't include God. That applies to all of us. There's one thing I can guarantee is that we're going to be tempted. This week, today, in the next five minutes, I don't know, at some point, you're going to feel the allure of a what-if story that doesn't include God. Resist. Stay in the story that's good. Stay in the story that God is writing for you. Resist. Whatever you need to do, whatever you need to cultivate, whatever you need to grow in to resist, resist. Stay in God's story. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you that no matter what life the enemy or even our own willfulness throws at us, you have a better invitation for us. Lord, I pray that we would hear your invitation to stay in the story that you've written for us or to step into the story if we haven't. Lord, for those of us who are here who are realizing that we've stepped out of the story, 
would we not hear the voice of condemnation that says it's too late, we're too far gone, the story is too broken. That is a lie from the evil one. Break through with your voice that says, come home, come home. The story is waiting for you to pick it up again. The story is waiting for you to pick it up again. May we experience forgiveness this morning. Lord, for those of us who are feeling like the temptation, the allure is unbeatable, is overwhelming, is, is, is just beating us down. May we sense your voice of empowerment say, you can resist. I am with you. And may we tell the enemy of our souls to be gone. In Jesus' name. Lord, may we live into the story you are writing for us, the story you are writing for humanity, the story you are writing for Chatham County. In Jesus' name, amen.